Let's go ahead and pray. Holy Spirit, 2,000 years ago, you sent out and divided like tongues of fire unbelievers gathered together in a room. And you gave them power and you gave them authority and you filled them to be witnesses into all the ends of the earth. So I pray right now as, as we are gathered in one room that you would come again, come down and, and fill our hearts, speak your word, let your gospel be known so that we can be transformed into witnesses as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to start off by just acknowledging Pete and Jesse. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, for the last two years or so you guys have been here, um, you guys have both just invested your hearts, and you guys have poured out your gifts, and you guys have been living examples of what it means to listen to the Father, to be um, intimate with Him, and to do what He says. And, um, and you guys are just living pictures of that for us. And I know this has been a really hard journey for you guys together. Um, it's been a hard thing to discern, and, uh, and yet you're being obedient. And that's a picture to us of what it looks like to follow God. And um, I, just, um, I just have faith that God, wherever he's taking you, however he's taking you next, he's going to just fill you with power and, and bless your ministry, just like he's blessed your ministry here. Um, you guys have poured out your love, and God has poured out his love through you um, to us and has helped sharpen us and change us as a church. So I just want to thank you for that. And, um, and you guys are a living picture for us. So in, in your picture of what I'm actually going to talk about this morning, too, is the power of God um, at work in people. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, we're in the, at the end of a series called Because He Leaves. And we're talking about what difference does it make, not only that Jesus rose from the dead, but now has ascended and has sent his spirit. And Pete started off this series talking about um, the purpose of why, why Jesus left and what that means for us, that we are called to go with a great commission into all the ends of the earth and proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior and to, to reconcile people. And then Matt talked last week about place, the fact that Jesus calls us to Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, and that uh, he gave us some practical tools to be able to share the story of God in our context. And this week, I want to talk about the power of God, the power of God, that because he leaves, he sends down his power to fill us up to be his witnesses. So what does the power of God look like? So I'm actually going to be opening up to the same passage that Matt was looking at last week, Acts 1, um, and you can open it up in your Bible as well. Here's how it starts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taking up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus promises to send his power to clothe the apostles and the disciples. And yet he tells them, I want you to wait. Wait and do not leave Jerusalem. This must have been one of the hardest things for the disciples to hear. Their leader had just been crucified, and the Roman rulers were still crawling around Jerusalem. The religious leaders were still hunting around, trying to find his disciples in order to persecute them. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you power, but you have to wait in Jerusalem. And I can imagine the disciples going, if you're going to give us power, give it to us right now. There's people hunting us. They're breathing down our necks. They're coming after us. You don't understand the urgency of this situation. Just like when you were asleep on the boat, you know, and it was storming, we had to wake you up. You don't get it, Jesus. There are urgent things going on we need to solve. We need to fix this. Don't make us wait. I'm sure James and John wanted that power right then. They're the ones, the sons of thunder, right, who called down fire from heaven, wanted Jesus to destroy people. I'm sure Peter wanted the power of God to come right then. He's the one who pulled out a sword to chop off an ear of an official, right? Send your power now so that we can have it and we can take care of this mess. We can fix things. But Jesus tells them to wait because the kind of power that Jesus wants to give them is different than the kind of power we are used to wielding. When I think of power, I think of the kind of, uh, like, electricity, maybe that fills my house and can turn on my lights, and I have the power to turn them on and off at my disposal, or maybe the chainsaw that I got to use a couple of weeks ago. Anybody been clearing wood this spring? It's so much fun. Turn on the chainsaw and just cut anything down, you know, and I'm just like, man, I just want to keep going. I'll chop down all these trees. This is fun, you know? Or uh, the power, I think of the, uh, the guys who were pulling out uh, the bushes in my backyard, in my neighbor's backyard yesterday, and they were hooking a chain around the bushes and, and pulling them out with a truck, and that kind of power. Or the power of the United States. We have nuclear power, right, in the world. We can, we can vanquish our enemy with a push of a button. We can destroy the whole world. That's power, right? But that's not the kind of power that Jesus promises. Because the kind of power that Jesus promises is not this tool, this weapon that we can use at our own disposal. The Holy Spirit is not this, you know, mystic force that we can just wield at our own disposal. I mean, think about if I was to place you in a room and I was to say, here's the most powerful tool in the world or the most powerful weapon in the world. That would be a totally different feeling than the feeling of being placed in a room with the most powerful person in the world. Imagine being placed in a room and I said, here's the most powerful person in the world. I'm going to put them in your room. That's a very, very different feeling. The power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus closed them with is the power of a person that we submit ourselves to. It's not some mystic force we get to channel to our own purposes. It's a person that we learn to submit ourselves to. This person is God, the Father Almighty, who created heaven and earth. You look at Psalm 104, that that Jesus and God created the entire world And not just created it, didn't just put it on autopilot, continues to sustain every single thing that goes on in this world. John Calvin. I am going to quote John Calvin this morning, guys. I just want to warn you. John Calvin on God's power. Listen to this. For God is deemed omnipotent, that is all-powerful, not because he can indeed act, 
yet sometimes ceases and sits in idleness, or continues by general impulse that order of nature which he previously appointed. But because, governing heaven and earth by his providence, he so regulates all things that nothing takes place without his deliberation. This means that creation is on, not on autopilot. It's not like Jesus set up creation and it just kind of goes, and then he picks moments to just intercede and be supernatural in these moments. That's kind of how we usually think of God's power. Like, my life is kind of humming along, and then God's power just showed up. And that's true in our experience. But what we don't see is that every single thing that happens, God cares about. And he's always working in every single thing, every moment of our day. God created the world. This is a little graph that I made up. Um, God created the world. And when he created it, he created humans in his image to have his power, to rule and reign over creation with his loving, good power and authority. But then humans took it, and one of the first things they do is, you know, Cain and Abel. You have murder in the beginning of the Bible. And then you've got Babel, where people use their power to build up their own name and their own authority. And God sees the sin in the world. And how does he deal with it? How does he exercise his almighty power over the sin in the world? How would, how would I do it? If I was the most powerful being in the universe and my creation turned against me, there's all kinds of things that I would use my power to do. But what he does is he sends his son Jesus. Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus, because he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, became a servant. That is a totally different concept of power than I'm used to witnessing. Jesus became a servant. That's how he exercised his power. And Jesus served us, and he also served God. He served the Holy Spirit, and he let the Holy Spirit clothe him and fill him completely. And so in Jesus, we see a man who is fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every single thing he did was not by virtue of the fact that he was just a man trying to exercise his own power. Everything he did was by virtue of the fact that he was a man completely submitted to the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Jesus, we see a model for ourselves. We see, oh, the same Holy Spirit fills me to enable me to be a servant, to enable me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. You see the power of God at work against the sin of the world and the cross, right? The cross. Again, how would I solve the sin of the world? I would probably like just wipe it out. You know, just take up my, my, you know, all my power and just, just destroy the world and start over. But that's not what he does. He sends Jesus to the cross to show the full power of God. Jesus on the cross is not a denial of the power of God. It's the expression of the power of God. So you see the soldiers mocking Jesus and saying, hey, if you're really this all-powerful God, you should get down off the cross. Why don't you exercise your power and just, just fight back? And he goes, no, the power of God is that I have power. I have more powerful than retaliation. I don't have to retaliate. I can stand here on the cross, and I, I will treat you as my friends, even though you are my enemies right now. Even though you are full of sin, I'm going to treat you like I love you. I'm going to treat you not as your sins deserve, but as if you're my friend. That's the power of God at work. Jesus triumphs over violence. Jesus triumphs over retaliation. And then 
He's killed. He's put in the ground. And he finally gets victory over death. And he resurrects. And the same power that raised Jesus back from the dead fills us too. And God exalted Jesus. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the power of God. So Jesus now sits on the right hand of God the Father. There is a human in heaven right now who is praying on our behalf. That's what Hebrews said, is that, that um, we don't have a high priest who isn't familiar with our weaknesses. Jesus knows what we need, and he is exercising his power in heaven on our behalf. And because we're in Christ, we get to be seated up there with him. If you look at Ephesians 1 and 2, um, it says that we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So we have power too. We are seated up there in Christ, and Christ has dispersed his gifts now. He says, I'm going to give you gifts. And that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. What, it's, what uh, Paul is talking about there in Ephesians is not, um, not anything else other than the fact that Jesus is up in heaven and now he can disperse his gifts to the church. He can give us the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit, now the church can exercise all the ministry of Jesus, not only what Jesus did, but even greater things, is what the scriptures tell us. That the, the church is now a gift of the, the ministry of healing and prophecy and evangelism and teaching and uh, power over impure spirits and, and to liberate, rescue. That's what the church is filled with power to do. When you look at power in the Bible, there, there's actually 335 times that power is listed in, uh, the, in the NIV translation. And as I was kind of scrolling through those, I realized that there's kind of a pattern that when you see power being attributed to people, it's usually power to oppress, destroy, power, power of violence. That's the kind of power that humans usually exercise. But when it's talking about God's power, it's power to liberate, to rescue, to heal, to save. That's the kind of power that God exercises. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you this power, the power of the Holy Spirit, a person who you're going to be submitted to, But if you want to receive this power, you have to wait. You have to wait. What happens when we wait? When we wait, there is a power exchange going on. Revelation 5.12 says, Were there you to receive honor and glory and wisdom and strength and power? That God receives our power. In worship, God receives our power. And waiting is a kind of worship where God receives our power. All the... the, um, impatient power, all the violent power, all the oppressive power that we have, the kind of power that, that helps us get out of uncomfortable situations or to try to fix things or fix people. We give all that to God in waiting. That's why I saw Pete and Jesse. That's why I heard in their story is that they started to sense that God was calling them into a season of waiting, not first to, to go and jump into something right away, but to pause and to wait and to listen They were talking about how they heard God speak and then they waited and then they heard God speak and then they waited. That God was letting them give him their power so that he could give them his power. That's what was happening. So we see a power exchange when we wait. And so the church is waiting and waiting and waiting on God's power. 
And then we get to Acts 2, and it's Pentecost. You guys, today is Pentecost. Did anybody know that? Yes, Pentecost. I wore my um, Pentecost shoelaces. They're red. Fire, fire, Pentecost. Yep. Uh, anybody else wear Pentecost shoelaces? No? Okay. Um, it's Pentecost, and Pentecost is actually the, a festival of the harvest. It's the Shavuot, the, uh, the, festival, the Jewish festival. And so it's actually the first fruits, which has a lot of cool tie-ins, that first fruits of the spirit, right? But also first fruits of the grain that they've harvested. But um, there's people from all over the world who are gathering together in Jerusalem, speaking all different kinds of languages. And they're all just kind of busy. It's a really, really busy, busy time in Jerusalem. And yet the disciples are gathered together, waiting amidst all this busyness that's going on. The disciples are together in one place, and they're gathered together. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So I want to kind of pull apart just a couple of things that happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out. A couple of ways that that God's power is at work, what it looks like. And the first thing I want to say is that God's power is plural. When the Holy Spirit comes, I've never actually read this, seen this before when I've read it, but it says um, the, the tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. This is actually a fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy. And actually, Peter ends up referencing that when he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on one person. Did the Holy Spirit come down and just anoint one person and they are the new messianic leader? No. The Holy Spirit come down and anoint a pastor to come and, and preach to everybody so that everyone would come follow this person? Or that person, or that person? No. All were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe at this church. That's why we have this church right now. Is that it's not me, it's you and 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 you. We are all filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do His ministry. If right now you're feeling like, I don't, I don't feel that. That's not me. I don't have gifts to give. Or I don't know what my gift is to give. I don't know what God is calling me to do. I don't know how God is calling me to lead. I would love to talk to you. Because I'll bet that the Holy Spirit wants to bring something forth in you. That if we spent some time discerning and listening and waiting, that we'd kind of uncover some of that. So, and also, I'd also encourage you to go over to this uh, prayer corner after the service. If you feel like, I'm not sure if I have any gifts. Um, we'll, we'll ask for the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh filling this morning that, that you would know the power of God in your life and have a sense of His calling for you in ministry. That's what we want for every single person in this place. So God's power is plural. The second, second thing I see is that God's power reconciles. The immediate fruit of Pentecost is that people, directly after this story, you see Acts 2.42, which sounds like this. They say, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God's power reconciles. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, boundaries are broken down, and people are gathered into community, into love. Um, I was just reading this uh, paper by this guy named Steve Slagel, Slagel, and it says, um, says this. God chooses to begin this revolution, that is the revolution against sin, to, to bring the kingdom of God to the world. God chooses to begin this revolution not in force, not in our ideas of power, not by just vanquishing his enemies, unless you count Satan as his enemies. He's not talking about just like destroying the world, but in a human community. Primary to the project of God is a gathering of people who would serve as a community of witnesses and seek the consummation of restored humanity. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is he creates a new community into which people can belong and experience reconciliation and healing and restoration. That's the mission of God. Um, actually, in, I'll just make this a quicker story because um, I want to be sensitive to time, but um, both in my life and in my wife's life, Rachel, we've both experienced some really powerful moments of reconciliation just in the last couple of weeks with um, individual friends of ours who God has said, hey, this is a person I want you to experience reconciliation with. And um, he's provided really unique ways of making that happen in our lives. It's specifically, like with, with Rachel, she had a, um, there's someone in her life who, um, who has just been kind of drifted away, experienced disconnect, and Rachel was sensing that God wanted to see some reconciliation there. And so she reached out, and it had been a couple days since she reached out, since Rachel reached out. And um, that morning, the Tuesday afterward, um, she, our kids slept in like an hour past when they usually do, and Rachel had extra time to spend in prayer and to just, in her heart, experience God's forgiveness for this person and for herself. And so that morning is when this person called was to, to talk about what had happened. And Rachel had already experienced the provision of God of that time and, and God's forgiveness. And so her heart was just softened and relationships were restored. That's the power of God poured out. Power of God is like reconciliation. Second um, Corinthians says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Which leads me to the third thing. God's power sends off to gather family. Peter replied, this is uh, also in the Pentecost story. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Jesus, uh, Peter's call is to repent and be baptized. This morning we got to experience a baptism. And baptism is a sign that someone has been grafted into the family of God, that God has rescued that person, washed them of their sin, and brought them into the family of God to be reconciled. That's what baptism is. And so when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's saying, be a part of God's family. But he's not just saying, be a part of God's family. 
He's also saying the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Why is this significant? Because on Pentecost, there are people from all over the world who have come to gather. And the, honestly, the miracle of Pentecost is simply translation. That, that the, the disciples were filled with the power to speak in a different language the gospel to people from all over the world. Why is that important? Because they're about to go home. They're going to go home and take with them the gospel in their own language. So what God is doing is he's pouring out his spirit, making it known to all these people that you're part of God's family now, and you know it in your own language, and now when you go back home, you can go communicate that to your people. To all those who are far off, you are now part of the ministry of reconciliation. You are gathering people who are far away from God back into God's family. That's the power of God at work. So the the other thing he says in here is, the promise is for you. And that really stuck out to me when I read it. The promise is for you. That means the promise is for you and you and you. The promise is for me. The Holy Spirit, the, clo- the clothing and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for each and every one of us. And when we think about that, that can be kind of daunting because the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does in people can sometimes, from the outside, look kind of crazy. It's people speaking in tongues or people giving prophecies or people asking for healing or praying for healing. That can be kind of daunting for those of us who haven't maybe experienced that personally. And I want to kind of, I want to point us back to this, this passage. Um, this is in Corinthians 13, 1 through 2. If I speak in the tongue of men, men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, is the power of love and reconciliation. That as we participate in the mission of God, as we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with his love that overcomes everything. And his love is what takes us to a person to ask if they need healing. His love is what takes us to a person to ask if they need forgiveness. That's what we're part of because we are part of the, the ministry of reconciliation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to pray and just invite the band to come on up. Um, Let's, let's pray now, and I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come as we worship. God, thank you. Thank you for the story of Pentecost. That reminds me that you are in control. That despite all the violence that we witness in the world, despite all the uh, impatience and the panic that we witness in the world, the oppression, um, the pain that we witness in the world, you are sending your spirit. And you're filling us with your love to overcome all odds, to be witnesses of your kingdom on earth. So fill us with your love now. Holy Spirit, fill us with your love. Fill us with your reconciliation that we would be one with you, that we would have union with Christ right now. That we'd be reminded that that your spirit lifts us up to be seated with Christ as children of God and also as heirs in the kingdom.
that you've filled us with power and authority to confront the evil in the world, to confront the violence in our own hearts, to confront the sin that plagues us. You've already overcome it and you've filled us with your power to be ministers of reconciliation and love in the world. Send out your spirit, Jesus. Gift this church with with everything that we need for your ministry. Thank you for sending us out from this place. Not only do you send out um, Pete and Jesse in a couple months, not only do you send out Ryan um, on a mission trip in Houston, not only do you send out all kinds of people in the Philippines and elsewhere, you send out uh, us from this place, filled with your spirit, wherever we go, to be part of your mission of love in the world. Amen.